One lesson we must learn about our spiritual life is that we must not depend on our own understanding, but actively seek the wisdom of God. Today, we'll be looking at three things we learn from the book of James about making wise decisions. This message is the second in the series, Real Deal Faith. The message is entitled, Making Wise Decisions. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. So grab your Bibles, the book of James is where we're going to be this weekend as we continue our series together, uh, talking about real deal faith. I want to talk to us this weekend about a very important aspect of our faith, that is uh, making wise decisions. How do we make wise decisions? James talked to us about this in the book of James. Uh, this summer, as I said, we're going through the book of James in a topical study together. I would encourage you, if you've not started doing so already, that you would begin reading the book. There are five chapters in the book of James, and I would encourage you just to perhaps systematically read it through throughout the summer as we're talking about some of these topics on the weekend. And again, I'm not being able to go through the entire book, but providing you the basic themes of the book of James. There are a number of themes that James covers repeatedly in, in, in his book that's very valuable to us, inspiring obviously by the Holy Spirit, words to us to help us to grow in our spiritual journey. James, the book of James really is a very practical book. That's why we're calling this series Real Deal Faith because he helps us to understand how to live out our faith in real life. How do we take what we know from God's word and really put it into practice in a consistent way? A little background on the book of James. Most likely the book of James is the very first book written that was brought into the canon of the New Testament. It was written most likely somewhere between 40 and 50 A.D., about 10 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's the earliest book, the earliest epistle that we have. And so you get a lot of insight in terms of where the church was about 10 years into its formation. It's written by, obviously, James, the one who carries the name of the book. And this James is the unique James who is the half-brother of Jesus. And so he grew up in the same family uh, that Jesus grew up in. And then Jesus entered, obviously, into ministry at 30 years of age, and James eventually comes to faith in Christ after Jesus appears to him after his resurrection. So it's a very valuable book and lots of, for lots of different reasons. One of the topics that James covers in his book is the topic of knowing the will of God or discovering the wisdom of God. How do you and I make good decisions in life? How do we get a hold of the wisdom that we need? And I'm sure that uh, there have been times in your life like mine that I've said, God, help me to understand your will. Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that before? God, I want to know what your will is for my life. Well, today what I'm going to help you to see is that actually discovering the will of God is not complicated. It's not difficult to do. Uh, there are just some principles that if you'll follow them, you can actually be assured that you can live in the will of God. You can live every day with the confidence that you're right where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. And it's all about wisdom. The way you live in the will of God is by living in wisdom. Wisdom will always lead you to God's will. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Here James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. He picks up the very same topic. And again, you'll see this in the book of James. He'll, uh, he'll, he'll address a topic in one chapter, and then he'll go into other things. Then he'll come back to the topic later. And so it kind of develops throughout the book, and he does this with wisdom. And now we get to chapter 3, and he picks up the theme of wisdom once again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and humility that come from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven, or heavenly wisdom, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness." For the next few moments, I want to share with you three lessons from these passages that we just read that will help you and I to understand how to make wise decisions, how to have wisdom in our life. The first thing that you must understand about wisdom is if you're going to have it, you have to go after it. Go after God's wisdom. You have to pursue it. A lot of people think that wisdom is just something that sort of is acquired by age and time. And I will tell you that wisdom is not something that you acquire by just getting older. There are a lot of older people who are not very wise. And so just living a long time does not necessarily make you wise. Wisdom is something you have to go after and pursue, and you need to want it and desire it. And by the way, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom according to the Bible. Knowledge is the gathering of facts that you can put into your head. Wisdom is the taking of that knowledge that is God's knowledge and learning to apply it in your life. See, people can have all kind of knowledge and not be wise. Have you met people before that had a bunch of stuff in their head, but their life was messed up? Even Christians that had a lot of biblical information in their minds, but they weren't living a life really pleasing to God. And so wisdom is not, not about how much you know about the Bible. It's about how much you know about the Bible that you're living out in your life, how you're applying it in your life. And so this is wisdom, and you have to pursue it. You have to go after it. Uh, one of the ways that we go after wisdom is we, we ask God for it. We seek after it. The book of Proverbs tells us about this over and over again, and James does as well. Listen to what he says again in verses 5 and 6. James chapter 1, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Now in these verses I just read, verses 5 and 6, there's both an instruction, set of instructions and a promise to us. Let's take a look at kind of, if you will, the instructions for being able to go after wisdom. I'm going to give you five things that you have to do to go after wisdom if you want it in your life. Number one, you have to recognize your lack of wisdom. You'll never go after wisdom until you realize you need it. Amen? That's why he says if you need wisdom, you have to acknowledge that you need it in your life. You have to recognize your lack before you're willing to find a solution to that lack. And part of what uh, happens in our world today, because we have so much knowledge, we, we tend to lean into knowledge and think knowledge is the answer, and knowledge has never been the answer. Knowledge has never solved the world's problems. Do you know that the world that we live in today, we have access to more knowledge than we've ever had before? Oh, you have access to all kind of knowledge. It's called Google. I mean, I, I grew up in school. We didn't have Google, okay? I mean, we had to ac actually go to the library. We had to do the research and do all those kind of things, and you had to search diligently to find information that you needed. But now, just with typing in a key word and doing a little bit of a search, you've got really a wealth of information available. And think about this. We have never had more knowledge in our world uh, than we have today, and we've never had such a lack of wisdom in our world than we have today. 
So our world is in many, in, in many ways in worse shape than it's ever been before in lots of ways. Why? Because it, knowledge never cures anything. It's only when you get wisdom and you have to step back and say, knowledge is not going to fix my problem. Wisdom will and I need it. I'm willing to humble myself enough and say, I need some wisdom in my life. And what I would encourage you to, to, to do today and begin to live your life in this manner is to say every day of your life there's a lot of stuff that you need from God that you don't have and you're going to lean into God for his wisdom you need his wisdom every day of your life it should be something you pray for not just when you're trying to make some kind of decision but you need to pray for wisdom every day of your life and then ask God for guidance when you're facing specific issues in life ask him God I'm asking for your specific wisdom in this particular area God, I have this problem I'm trying to solve. Now, I'm asking you for wisdom about this particular problem. Specifically, I've got this situation in my relationship. I need an answer to this. Or, God, I'm dealing with something at work. Or, I've been given a project to accomplish. And I don't know exactly how to go about it. You know that God cares about things like projects in your life? He cares about assignments that you've been given. And God can give you assignments... He can give you wisdom for your assignments. I remember the story of uh, George Washington Carver who looked at, a, at, at, at the world one day and said, God, show me the secrets of the universe. And God says, son, your, your mind's not big enough to understand the secrets of the universe, but I will show you the secrets of the peanut. And I can't remember some 300 products, I think it was, that George Washington Carver discovered out of just the peanut and God opened up his mind to the wisdom of a peanut. Now he's recorded in history as one of the major, major intellectual giants of history. Why? Because he received of the wisdom of God. He leaned into God's wisdom for his life. So what are you facing right now that you need wisdom for? It might be something at work. It might be something in your family. It might be a situation you're dealing with in your own life. But go to God and say, God, I'm asking you for your wisdom, for your guidance. Thirdly, believe in the benevolence and the generosity of God to supply that wisdom. You know, you'll never really expect God to give you wisdom unless you believe He's good enough to do it. One of the wonderful things about God, and I like to remind you of this regularly, is that God is a good God. God is a benevolent God. God is a generous God. See, we have a hard time relating to that because most of us, uh, we, have, we have limits to our generosity, don't we? Okay? We put real uh, close limits. Some of us, our limits maybe have been expanded further than others, but everybody has a limit humanly on our generosity. God is just generous and generous and generous and then more generous, and He just continues to be generous. How many of you received God's forgiveness far more times than you deserved it? Amen? Okay, even the very first time you didn't deserve it, okay? But God gener generously extends things to us, including wisdom. And then number four, walk with a clear conscience before God. What that means is this. It means if you're going to receive God's wisdom, you need to be walking with God in right relationship with Him. You can't expect to receive more wisdom from God if you're not living in the wisdom you already have, right? If God has already shown you how to live your life right now and you're ignoring that wisdom, can you expect God to kind of pour out more wisdom on you when you're ne neglecting the very thing He's already shown you? And a lot of people don't get this in life. You take what God has shown you and you live it out in your life as consistently as you possibly can in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you that if you're doing the best you can with what you have, God will give you more, okay? You'll never be missing the next. 
That's why the Scripture says that God's Word is a lamp into our feet and a light to our path. He lights up the next step. You don't, we always want to know all the other steps. God says take one step at a time. Don't worry about all those other steps. Don't try to leap over there from here. No, it's one step. I light up. I'm, my Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. One step at a time. So walk obediently with God. I'll come back to that in a moment. And the fifth thing that's important to do if you're going to go after God's wisdom is to expect God to give it to you, to actually believe. If I ask God to give me wisdom, I believe that He will supply it for me and to me. The second lesson that I want us to learn from James today about, uh, about wisdom, about making decisions in our life, living in the will of God, is you need to know what God's wisdom looks like. You can only know that you've truly found something if you know what, you're lo- what, what, what it looks like when you find it, right? You've never discovered anything if you don't know what it looks like. Okay, you've got to understand the characteristics of something before you realize, oh, yep, I have found it. And so a lot of people say, well, I want wisdom, but they don't know what, what real wisdom looks like. And so I want to help you to understand what real wisdom looks like. And James very clearly describes real wisdom for us in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, the wisdom of God. He says it looks like, acts like this. Who is wise and understanding among you? That is, who's the person who now has acquired this wisdom of God, this understanding from God? Let them show it by their good life, not just by their by their knowledge in their head, but by the way they live their life, by deeds done in humility that come, comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, you do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. In a couple of moments, I'll come back to that section of James chapter 3. But now let's look at verses 17 and 18, because right here, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit shows us exactly what real wisdom is like, the wisdom of God. But the wisdom that comes from where? Heaven, okay? So it's heavenly wisdom. It is God's wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, here he describes it as, first of all, read it with me, it is pure, come on everybody together, it is pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere. Look, listen to verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So it leads to being a peacemaker. Listen to verse 17 again. Let me read it for you. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, God's wisdom is first of all pure. It is then peace-loving. It is considerate. It is submissive. It is full of mercy. It is good fruit. It is good. It bears good fruit. It is impartial and it is sincere. There are eight characteristics, very specific characteristics that James says when you see the wisdom of God and when you're living in the wisdom of God, this is what it looks like, okay? Do you think it's worth studying this? Why? Because this is the only way you'll know the difference between God's wisdom and another kind of wisdom we'll talk about in a moment, the wisdom of the world. And they're two very distinct kinds of wisdom. First of all, it says that the wisdom that comes from God leads to something that is pure. It is always a pure wisdom. What that means is it is unadulterated. It is not clouded or polluted by wrong motives. When you're, getting, when you're living in the wisdom of God, your motives are right. And, and the decisions you make are based in the right motives for your life. You know, there are a lot of people that, are, that make decisions out of the wrong motives. 
that they're motivated by the wrong things. They're motivated by selfish ambition, as he talks about here, motivated by materialism, motivated by, motivated by getting themselves ahead, motivated by putting somebody else down, motivated by lots of different things. But when you're living in the wisdom of God, there's a purity to it. There's a holiness to it. There's a sense when there's no, no, no desire here for my personal gain, but a desire for the advance of God's kingdom. Cleansed from all ulterior motives. Number two, the second characteristic of wisdom. We're just going to break these apart. This is Bible study today. The second one is it's peace loving. That means this. It means when you're living in the wisdom of God, true wisdom always produces, or at least it generally produces, better relationships. How do you know that you're, not, that you're living out of God's wisdom? When your relationships are going south, generally it means you're missing something of the wisdom of God. But when your relationships are going the right way, then it means you're beginning to apply wisdom. And so there's a, there's a relational dimension of wisdom. When I gain wisdom about being a better husband, there's more peace in my family, right? When I gain wisdom about being a better friend, there's more peace in my friendships. Now, there are some, there are some exceptions to this. Obviously, if there are people that are anti-Christ and anti-God, no matter what you do, you can't make them happy, okay? So not, you can't make everybody happy in your life. You shouldn't try to live to try to make everybody happy. It's impossible to make everybody happy. But what is, what is possible is living in the will of God. And when you live in the will and the wisdom of God, there's a greater dimension of peace in the relationships of your life. True wisdom will always bring you closer to God and closer to those around you. True wisdom. Thirdly, the Bible says, James says that wisdom, the wisdom of God is always considerate. Don't you love considerate people? What is a considerate person? A considerate person is able to get out beyond themselves and think about what they do and its impact upon those around them, okay? Okay. Consideration is, is kindness. It's the ability to think about how I'm not just being blessed, but how I can use my life in some way to bless somebody else. I'm considering, I'm thinking beyond just my own little world. And so true wisdom, when you're operating in the wisdom of God, it will make you considerate toward other people kind and considerate that as you'll be thinking about the impact of your behavior and your attitudes upon those around you rather than simply what is being accomplished for yourself. The fourth thing is that true wisdom from God is always submissive. You know, we live in a world that uh, really doesn't like this word. In fact, as soon as the word submissive is spoken in our culture, generally speaking, it has negative connotations submissive, but actually the Bible upholds this word as a very, very powerful word. Let me give you a little bit of background on the word submissive because I think it will really help you to understand why it's such a valuable term in the Bible. To be submissive, it comes from actually an original military word, so it's actually a military term. Okay? So those of you who have been in the military will appreciate this and understand it very well and I think all of us can certainly uh, grasp something from this uh, military definition. Originally, the idea of being submissive meant this. It mean, when, meant that when you were a soldier in an army going into battle, then those who were in uh, oversight of the strategy of the battle would take their soldiers and deploy them in strategic locations. And when that soldier went to where the commanding officer placed them and got where they were supposed to be and took the assignment that had been given to them, they were called submissive. It meant that they were in order. They were where they were supposed to be 
doing what they were supposed to be doing. And everybody, everybody in the army is important, right? Everybody, if you've got a battle going on, uh, if you're behind the lines, if you're uh, taking care of the troops and supplying them with their resources, or if you're out there on the front lines, wherever you are, everybody is important, but you have to be in your place doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Well, God has a kingdom order, and so our kingdom order is that we are not to determine where we want to be, but we are to respond to where He assigns us, right? That's what it means to be in submission, to say, Father, where have you assigned me? And I want to be in my place doing what I need to be doing. It really doesn't matter how important it might seem to me because what the issue is, is if, if you've assigned it to me, it must be important. And by the way, remember this, in the kingdom of God, everybody and every assignment is important. It doesn't matter who you are. Or what God has asked you to do, whether it's out front or behind the lines, if you will, somewhere. You are valuable and you are important to God. But you need to be in your place doing the assignment God has given you. God did not save you to call you to sit in a seat for the rest of your life. He saved you so you could serve Him. Amen? He saved you so you could take who you are and engage it in the kingdom of God for the advancement of God's kingdom. And real wisdom will get you in your place doing something that is making a difference. And it doesn't always mean that everybody's going to notice it, but it means that God will notice it when you're in your place doing what you ought to be doing with your life. Amen? So that's what wisdom does. It leads you to getting engaged, to being a part, to getting in your place of operation and assignment and fulfilling it as God has asked you to do in proper order. Number five, the fifth characteristic of real wisdom, it's full of mercy. It's always full of mercy. Full of mercy means that it has this orientation toward compassion and caring and uh, rather than constantly jumping on the judgment bandwagon, we, we respond to those around us with a sense of mercy and kindness. Why? Because we have received the mercy of God. See, part of God's wisdom and love toward us is in the fact that He's been merciful to us, hasn't He? That's why the songwriter could write, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see He realized what a wretch He was and by the way, everybody is one, okay? You might say, well, I'm just a good person. No, in, in our hearts, there's not a single person here that is not, a, is not a wretch in our hearts. We need to be saved from our sin. And that's mercy that comes to us. And so now God says that you've received mercy from me. I want you to give mercy to the people around you in your life. That's what wisdom, wisdom always operates in a merciful way. And then it's impartial. It doesn't show favoritism. And finally, it is sincere. It means it has integrity. There's no duplicity in the wisdom of God. You know, there are a lot of people that live a duplicitous life. They're one thing in one place and something else somewhere else. Oh, they're one thing on church on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Sunday worship. Monday. You think you're meeting the devil. Okay. There's a duplicitousness to their lives. And God takes our lives and He doesn't scatter them in duplicity, but He brings them together in integrity. Amen? So that when you're living in the wisdom of God, you operate as an integrous person. You live a life without being one thing, one place, and something, something else. Wisdom penetrates every part of your being. Let's go to the third and final uh, point today. The third thing is you and I need to avoid, 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 desperately, significantly, intensely avoid worldly wisdom. 
I need to define the phrase worldly for you. You probably know what it means, but I just want it for the sake of clarification and that we're all on the same page. Let me define worldly. When the Bible refers to people who are worldly or the people of the world, it's talking about people that don't acknowledge God, that don't live in relationship with God, that don't really live for God. Okay? They're living according to their own desires and they're living according to the culture around them. And the Bible clearly teaches us that there is a wisdom that comes from the world and there's a wisdom that comes from heaven, okay? There are two distinct, distinct kinds of wisdom, worldly wisdom, wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Say it with me, worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. You've got to get this. This will, this will really help you in your spiritual journey. Two different kinds of wisdom, and you better know the difference between the two, okay? Because if you don't know the difference between worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, you're going to get into a lot of trouble with your life. Now, James tells us about worldly wisdom in verses 15 and 16 of James chapter 3. For jealousy and selfish ambition or selfish, selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. When you and I are making decisions, it's very important, and when we're dealing with life, it's very important the source we go to for our wisdom. Okay? Because wisdom always has a source, right? See, if I don't know what I need to know and I need to get understanding that I don't have, that means I've got to go to a source somewhere to receive it, right? And so, if I'm looking for wisdom, the Bible says there's only two places that I can go. I can go to the world and say, hey world, what do you think about this? Or I can go to the kingdom of God and to, to the word of God and say, God, what do you think about this? And would you agree that it's very likely and usually is the case, most often the case, that what the world says and what God says are very different, right? Why? Because the world is operating in darkness, God is operating in light, okay? And so light and darkness have no fellowship. You can't bring light and darkness together. You cannot, you cannot blend light and darkness. It is impossible to blend light and darkness. Why? Because as soon as light shows up, it dispels darkness, okay? You can have total darkness and light one little match, and that one little match dispels darkness. Does, does it dispel all the darkness? No, but there's a sense in which the, the, the darkness cannot overpower the light. But what happens to us as Christians is that many times when we're trying to make decisions about life, decisions about marriage, decisions about families, decisions about our careers, decisions about all kinds of things, instead of going to God for His wisdom, we go and say, Hey, world, what do you think about it? We listen to all the talk shows and... All the folks on television that can tell you, oh, live your life this way. Whatever feels good, do it. Do go after your heart, just whatever you like. If it feels great, then it must be good. Anybody, does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay, okay. And I could go on and on, all the wisdom. The world's willing to tell you all kind of stuff, okay? And if you're not careful, what you will do is you will go to the world, even as a Christian, and you will let the world tell you how to live your life. And I promise you, when you let the world tell you how to live your life, it's going to mess you up. Worldly wisdom never fixes things. Worldly wisdom always makes things worse, okay, in the end. And so we have to know 
how to avoid that. And let's take a look, just as we took a look at the characteristics of God's wisdom, let's look at the characteristics of, of worldly wisdom so you'll understand them. Five of them, and then we'll wrap up today. First of all, it's earthly. That means it comes from the earth. The world's wisdom is, is earth-bound. It's uh, based in the tainted soil, if you will, the dirt of the earth. It doesn't fit, doesn't uh, lift you up to a higher standard. God's wisdom always lifts you to a higher standard. The wisdom of the world always brings you down to a common standard that is lower. Number two, it is unspiritual. The wisdom of the world is based upon human reasoning and human knowledge. It doesn't take into consideration the heart, the mind, the perspective of God. It's usually based upon man's rationale. People just try to figure things out and their instincts of how things ought to be done. And because it's unspiritual, it doesn't take into account the Spirit of God. Listen closely. When you met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, the Spirit of the living God came to live inside of you. And so you have a source of wisdom in you. You have the source of wisdom in the Word and with the Spirit in you. That's why the Word and the Spirit are so very important to you. Because I have the Spirit of God in me, working in my spirit and soul, and then I take the Word of God, which gives the Spirit something to work with. Okay, you got that? Okay. So the Spirit of God is in me, but I've got to give the Spirit of God in me something to work with. And so I get into the Word, and I get the Word in me that allows the Spirit of God to have something to work with to lead me to wisdom. Now, the people of the world, the problem with them is they don't have the Spirit of God in them. So they can't even understand this Word because it's only by the Spirit that you understand the Word of God and apply it to your life. And so the, when, the, when you go to the world for answers, the world can't give you any good answers because the world doesn't have the Spirit of God in it, okay? They haven't invited the Spirit of God in. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 and 15. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolish. That's why people will say, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, oh, you're just foolish. No, we're not foolish. We found the real source of wisdom, okay? The problem is the world doesn't know this source, haven't discovered this source, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. So there's a resource for us that goes beyond just the natural world, the unspiritual world. Thirdly, understand this, the wisdom of the world is devilish. It's devilish. You say, Pastor, you don't believe in that devil stuff, do you? Yeah, I do, actually. Because the Bible teaches it. See, as I've talked to you many times about, and will do so many times to come, Lord willing, you have to understand, it's not just a world thing. There's a spirit behind it, okay? The spirit behind it is the spirit of darkness. You can't see demonic entities, but they exist. As surely as air exists, you can't see it, but it's real. And there are demonic spirits that exist as well, and they work in the atmosphere of the world around us. When Lucifer rebelled against God up in heaven, and he was cast out of heaven, he then came and was cast down to the earth, and earth became the devil's playground. So the earth in which we live, we're here to be redeemed in the midst of the earth so that we can provide a witness to God in the world around us, in the earth around us. But understand something, dear ones, this world in which we live is influenced primarily by the adversary except where we as children of light step in and teach and preach and command and live the truth out in our lives. So there's a battle between darkness and light that exists. And the, the wisdom of the world is devilish, it's demonic, as James says. And when you and I live according to the wisdom of the world, we're actually inviting 
demonic entities to lie to us and to deceive us. It's so sad to see how much of our world is living in deception right now. You know that our world today, people now are calling things that are wrong right and things that are right wrong. That's how deceptive it is, okay? That's where we've gotten as a world, that now things that clearly are said are wrong, now what does the world say? It's right, and things that are clearly described in the Bible is right, what's the world saying? It's wrong, okay? Now, that is ultimate deception, isn't it? So do you want to go to that source for your wisdom? I don't. I don't want to go to someone who's already messed up, okay? If you're messed up, and I've got the same problem, I'm not coming to you if you're messed up to try to fix me, right? I'm going to find a source that goes beyond your situation so I can find an answer for my life. And so it is devil. Fourthly, it produces disorder. Does it bring about unity and harmony and a sense of connectedness one to another? It produces disorder. And finally, it results in the increase of evil. Please remember, evil always begets evil. Just like good creates good, evil begets evil. So decisions based upon the wisdom of the world, will always get you into trouble. What are the three things we learned from James today? Number one, how do you get God's wisdom? You have to go after it. It's not just going to show up in your life. You have to go after it. How do you go after God's wisdom? You pursue it. Let me give you a quick little uh, word of encouragement or word of instruction here. One of the best sources for wisdom in the Bible, it's a simple way to get become more wise about the principles of God's Word is the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. It is a book of wisdom. I'm going to tell you just a very simple way that I do it in my life that helps you to get the wisdom from God out of the book of Proverbs. The whole Bible, obviously, ought to be in it. But the book of Proverbs, I encourage you to read at least one chapter in the book of Proverbs every day. It's like good medicine for you, okay? One chapter a day. It's very simple. There are 31 Uh, chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so here's what you do. You take whatever the day of the month is and you read the chapter in Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month. Today is is, uh, July 19th. Am I correct about that? And so this evening I'll read Proverbs chapter 19. Last night I read Proverbs chapter 18. Okay, so tonight I'll read Proverbs chapter 19. And so then uh, those months that have 31 days, I, I go through the book of Proverbs once a month. And then back to chapter 1, first day of the month, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. And it keeps you going back because what I've learned. And then read it through different translations. And so at least, at least every month you're getting through those 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. You're taking in a constant diet of wisdom for your life. But don't just expect wisdom to sort of pop into you because you're getting older. You've got to go after it. You've got to pursue it. Second thing, know what God's wisdom looks like. We talked about the characteristics. And finally, avoid what kind of wisdom? Don't go to the world for advice because the world will always mess you up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray that you'll take this message today and help us to live it out in our lives. I pray, Lord, that that the folks that are here this weekend, those that have gathered in all of our campuses, I pray that in Jesus' name, that, Lord, you would allow us to become wise people with the wisdom of God. We need wisdom. We ask you for it. And we know that you will give it to us as we lean into you for it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. 
Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.